Hello, and welcome to episode 49 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, September 17th, 2020. Big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Welcome back, Courtney. Thank you. And thank you to Kelly for filling in for me while I was in Connecticut. I am so appreciative. And it was delightful to listen to your episode 48 when I returned. Thanks. I enjoyed chatting with her. Yeah, we have we have made it through the, na- <laughs> the two weeks. We did actually have a heat wave and then we had orange skies, which I'm sure most people, if they didn't live through it, saw on social media. That was, that was interesting. Yeah. All media. It was really... <laughs> That's it true, because was... you were in Connecticut, so you missed it. And well, I made we... her send me a picture of her Connecticut blue skies because I, towards the end of the day, it was just like, I was done. So that helped a lot, actually. Oh, good. We were hearing about it. Um, I, to be totally transparent, I went to Connecticut to be with my dad and my sister and her family. And eventually my brother came up too. My dad has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And it is stage four, which means that... um, it has metastasized. And in his case, um, it's untreatable, uh, which is really difficult. And I know that people who have endured um, a loved one with pancreatic cancer will know where I'm coming from on this front. Um, However, we are trying, trying, trying to see this time as a gift and to to see and celebrate together as much as possible. So I probably will hop back and forth to Connecticut for the foreseeable future. Um, and I, I have to say that the weather in Connecticut right now, you know, we're looking for small joys where we can get them. And um, the blue skies were incredible. And my kids came out for a week the benefit of distance learning is that they could do school from a picnic table in my sister's backyard. And they were, Nathan got in trouble for hopping on the trampoline during one of his classes. And so we, yeah, we, we were appreciating the break from smoky air, although our hearts were all over the place, but thinking about you all here dealing with that and the fire still and the pandemic and my gosh, what's next? But Connecticut weather in September and October is is often just great. <laughs> and yeah. so I I can't complain about that one bit. Yeah, I definitely have much more sympathy for all the medieval people that freaked out during eclipses. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, really weird. But yeah, we're glad you are back and I'm sure everyone We'll be thinking of you in the next few months and, and wishing you and your family well in your Yeah, your yeah. It's going to be, I, I keep saying to my sister, it's a one step at a time kind of thing. And I, of course, have my moments, but onwards, ever onwards. So we will continue onwards with On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, On the Nightstand. And Courtney's going to hop in with her final bingo update. I want to hear if she made the blackout 
we shall see. Who knows? So on the needles, I finished, I finished two hats. I'm on a hat kick. Oh my goodness. I'm, I apologize for doing nothing but hats. But my other projects are giant shawls that I can't just run through because they're mystery knit along. So I have to wait for the clues to show up. So in between, when I don't have any shawl to work on, I've been doing hats. So I finished the birthday hat for my friend. It was the Abington hat by Jennifer Lassonde, who is Boston Jen. And the yarn is from Ireland, although I got it here at Stitches West. And the, the dyer is Olen Handide, and it's their Donegal Tweed in the Temptress colorway, which was this dark tweedy green and was gorgeous. And it was a skein I had just bought just because it was gorgeous. And I don't know that I've ever really knit with tweed, so I thought it would be fun to have. And then this pattern came out, and it was in a DK tweed. So there we go. And as Kelly pointed out, all 50-year-olds need a hat in the Temptress colorway. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. And it has beautiful cables. It was really fun to knit. The yarn was great. It was just a lovely, lovely project all around. That's the Abington hat by Jennifer Lassonde. And that one I posted on Instagram, so you can check it out there. And it's on my Rav page, but... They're still working on their, their changes very, very slowly. Um, I, and I did hop into Ravelry and tried to have a look around and, you know, I'm not a regular user, so it was a little bit herky-jerky. So then I also finished my Sockhead Slouch Hat by Kelly McClure, and the yarn for that was Knit Circus Opulence in Badger Track Stripes. That's the red and white gradient that kind of switches from mostly red to mostly white and that was gosh like 13 inches of stockinette and fingering white so that that was my zoom knitting for for a while um but i finished it and i posted that one on instagram as well and it's super cute and maybe someday we will be able to have high school sports and i can go watch my kid play soccer we will see and then i will be able to wear it i mean i guess i could wear it otherwise but fingers crossed yeah it's candy cane colored, so it should be good for December. As I said, I'm still working on my two shawls. The first is the Sharon Show by Casa Pinka. And that's the four color random stitches, awesome hilariousness, plus cocktails, mystery knit along. We were supposed to get the final clue last Friday, and there was some delay. Allegedly, Sharon the cat's car was stolen and she had to go find it. So there was some sort of cross-country trip with photos on Instagram. I'm still not sure what happened, but it was hilarious and super fun. And it gave me time to get caught up. So I think most people felt that way. And obviously something was going on with the designer. And that was why it was delayed. But we'll get it tomorrow. It'll be fine. It will get done. And I'm still really enjoying that one. The stitches have gotten a little more complicated, I would say. Towards the end, there's just some really fun ones, lots of texture, lots of color. It's been great. Yeah, and that's the one that I've got two blues, a pink, and a gray, and they're all fingering weight. It's not a super wide shawl, but it is going to be very long. I think around 60 inches, so be able to wrap it around. And I'm pretty excited about that one. And then the other one is Tefenua by Francoise Denoy, who's a Rohanitz. And that is with Lady Dye Yarns, also a fingering. And that is going to take most of the two skeins that is in this jade green. I don't know if it has an actual colorway name. I didn't see anything on the tag, 
but it's beautiful. I think it's a single, so it's kind of, it's not super twisty. It's pretty, pretty loosey goosey yarn, but, um, so it's really nice to work with. And this was a mystery knit along. There's also a crochet version and they've been having Zoom meetings talking about their design aesthetic and their craftivism and all sorts of great things. So I've really enjoyed that as well. And the, the actual knitting part, which is possibly why you're here, has been fun as well. So I'm on, I've gotten the fourth clue for that one. And each section has kind of built on the other one. They're separate. Each one is a different lace pattern, but the first one is pretty simple. And then the second one is a little more complicated. The third one definitely had to pay a lot more attention. And the fourth one is continuing that pattern. So kind of like, I don't know, you could have a plate of spaghetti and then you could add butter and cheese and then you could add some tomato sauce and each one is a little more complicated and interesting, but all really works together. So, so I'm enjoying that. And it's going to be a big hunk and shawl because I've already gotten through one, one of the skeins and I'm definitely going to get significantly through the other one. So I think they were both at least 400 yards in a skein. So it's, it's going to be a very large train and this one would be a triangular shawl. So, and I think once that gets blocked out, it's going to be huge. So that one's, that one's pretty exciting too. And the color is amazing. Will you be able to tie that? Do you think, or will it be more like a shoulder wrap? It's a, yeah, it's a straight triangle, so it'll be more of a shoulder wrap, but they make all these cool accessories now. They have shawl, uh, shawl cuffs that are like leather wristbands, but smaller, and you can use it to put both ends of the shawl through. So instead of tying it or, you know, wrapping it all around in weird ways and trying to make it stay, it'll kind of hold it in place without going through the fabric like pins do, which always worries me, especially because this one is really loose and, and the yarn's not terribly doesn't have a lot of twist. It's not, not super sturdy. So yeah, so I might have to get one of those. They definitely had them at Stitches West. I don't think I got one. I just like, I haven't been going out, so I haven't been wearing my shawls. I can't remember yeah. what I got, but I definitely was looking at them and I've seen, I've seen people modeling them and whatnot. So hmm. that might be good for our wintertime gift list ideas. Yes. yes. I'm interested. Yeah, I will mark that down. That is a good idea. So those are my shawls. I did a little bit of work on my Bautista again by Celia McAdam Cahill. That's in the Yak Lux by Invictus Yarns in the 2020 Knockers colorway, the Northern California Knitters Retreat. That's the, the teal color. And again, that's got a lace pattern in the middle that I definitely have to pay attention to, but I've got these other lace patterns. And so, yeah. So that one is just kind of you know, I'll have 10, 15 minutes of free time and, you know, I don't want to get super involved with something. So I'll just pick that up and do a couple, couple of rows on that because that yarn is really nice to work with. And I started some socks because my husband has a birthday coming up and it's hard to think of things to get him at this point. <laughs> so socks are always good. Well, if he's like my husband, he probably buys a lot of gifts for himself. There's that too. He's like, oh, it's birthday month. I should buy things for myself. Mm -hmm. No, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> so anyway, these socks. The yarn is from Mustache Yarns, and it's one of her perfect sock self-striping. Uh, when it arrives, you get two skeins that are totally matched in the stripes. So um, I don't personally have an issue with this, but a lot of people do. They want their stripes to match up perfectly. Otherwise, it bothers them. I don't really care. They're all the same colors, however they work. But 
you end up with two skeins. It is kind of nice. This is one of her summer concert tour colorways because there, nobody was doing summer concert tours, so she made yarn for it. Um, and this is called Hook, like in a song. There's a hook that you know gets you into a song. Um, oh, yeah. Is a musician, so I thought that was cute. And it's all different shades of blue. So it's not exactly a gradient. There's like a sky blue and a little bit darker and then a bright blue and then, I don't know, a navy and then like a teal and then a blue and white mix. I love them. They're beautiful. Thanks. And so I'm trying to do them, well, I am doing them toe up because I know how long I can make my, if I do cuff down for mine, I know how long I can make the legs and not worry about running out of yarn at the toe. But I worry about that with him because his feet are bigger. So if I do them mm -hmm. toe up, then I can just knit the legs as long as I feel I want them or until I run out of yarn. So hopefully that will work. And I think that's all of my knitting. I have yarn wound for a sweater to finish my shawls. And then I can start on the sweater because I have not had a sweater on the needles in a little while. Great. Although I don't like swatching. It'll be worth it. And I think that is it. What Excellent. is on the easel? Well, given my update, my travel update, not too, too much, but I did take a sketchbook to Connecticut and I painted a surprising amount given all of the stuff that was going on. I painted one day with my nephew. He brought out all of his gems and crystals and showed me them. And then we sat down with his guidebook and ID'd them. And he drew one or two of the stones next to me while I was painting, painting them in my sketchbook. And then he and I went for a walk and we collected a whole bunch of these really green acorns that were on the side of the road. And I painted those guys in the sketchbook and that was really fun. He started school while I was there and we got their, their thing is a back to school lobster and a store-bought chocolate cake. And my sister bought these little lobsters. Sorry, vegans and vegetarians, but I'm going, I'm going with it. So we had three lobsters, one for my nephew, one for me, and one for my dad, tiny little guys. My dad doesn't have much of an appetite, so I got a little bit extra. And the, they were in the bag and <laughs> the bag broke open and it was just kind of a lobster fiasco. Did they escape? One of them really tried to, and I know that this part is going to make people squeamish. It makes me squeamish, and I love lobster. We wrestled them back into the bag, and then my sister, who doesn't eat lobster but can cook them beautifully, <laughs> put them on this blue plate, and I thought it was just, like, really great contrast. And so I painted one of the lobsters and then ate it. And <laughs> I painted, when my family came, we moved over to a friend's guest house and I painted one of the teacups from the guest house and I painted for your and Kelly's podcast episode, the macrame. And I used plants that were right there in my sister's yard. She has like um, an outdoor living space with plants and holders. And so I sort of imagined them in the macrame holders and I painted them one day while my kids were doing homeschooling or distance learning or whatever. 
And then with my dad, we found some early foliage in the yard and I picked them up while I was talking to him. And we talked about, you know, he really appreciates like doing things with your hands. And I was explaining to him the satisfaction of painting something and then leaving those leaves in Connecticut, but having a painting to take home with me. So that painting of the early foliage was this whole conversation with my dad. So it was great to have a sketchbook to sort of splash around in while I was there. And I'll definitely take one back with me when I go again in October. Before I left San Francisco, I had two paintings um, for Lemon Latitude in progress, and I never posted them. And so one is finished, one is incomplete, and I need to finish and write a narrative for them both. But I'm excited to share those. And I, I found a teapot from Japan while I was at the guest house. And so I, I feel weird, you know, to keep, keep on keeping on. But there are things that pop up about my projects along the way that are keeping me connected to the art. And I think that that's a good, healthy place to be. So I was able to fill in a little bit, you know, I did a little Labor Day painting and that felt good because I was able to put it on my bingo sheet. Yeah, I'm just, I'm keeping at it a little bit. I'm sketching things that I read about in books or in my little to-go sketchbook. I painted some beets from my sister's garden and, and a bird that I saw. So I, I can't say that it's a daily concerted effort, but it is a daily picking up a pencil and keeping the muscles engaged process right now. That seems reasonable. Yeah. You're doing something. So that's, that's yeah. And it, it feels good. It feels good. Good. All right. On the table. So I had my food styling class last night with Pineapple Collaborative. And they, they are on a mission to connect and celebrate women who love food. So that is, that is kind of their thing. I think they're both from the restaurant industry and they do events in various cities. I think it's New York and DC and San Francisco and probably LA. And now they can do them online, obviously they have to. So it'll be cooking classes or cocktails or various food industry kind of things like food styling. The teacher or the guest was El Simone Scott, who I talked about a few episodes ago. She's with Milk Street. And I listened to an interview um, that Bryant Terry did with her. Apparently I'm stalking her now, but it was super fun. It was about an hour and a half. They did a little bit of conversation, you know, how she got into it, that kind of thing. And then she did a demonstration. So it really worked well, I think, in that format. I feel like an actual cooking class would be, I guess it would work. I mean, they do entire series of cooking classes but with a cooking class you can't smell you can't hear you know it feels a lot more sensory but with this it's all about how it looks so it was perfect and then you could zoom in everybody could see it was really nice and it was interesting it was definitely the styling and not the photography that's like two different jobs which I hadn't really realized so she had a tomato tart and she said the first thing you have to figure out is like what are you selling are we selling the tomatoes or are we selling the tart pan? Because that's a totally different kind of thing. So that's what you need to figure out is what store are you telling? 
what do you want to have happen? So that was really interesting. And she had a bunch of props and she kind of gave us choices. And what do you want to, what colors are we going for? What are we thinking? So it was really interesting. I'm glad I checked that out. Um, they have, I want to say an Indian food one coming up. Um, if anybody is interested in checking that out. And that's Pineapple Collaborative, and the links will be in the show notes along with everything else. So you found them through Milk Street? I don't know how I found them. I've been on the mailing list for a while. I feel like it was maybe one of those going on in your city things, because they do, they did events in San Francisco, and so I've been on their list, and it just never really worked out. I never made it to any of them. And so then this one popped up, and... It just sounded fun. And then, yeah, it was just a coincidence that I had recently become aware of El Simone. That's yeah. great. I, I'm excited to see you play with what you <laughs> learned in our Instagram feed. We shall see. Yeah. So then actual cooking, I am continuing my bean extravaganza, kind of doing one pot a week and wow. different beans. And it's been working out pretty well. So I kind of plan one meal around the beans that we're all going to eat. So I cook them that day. And then we're, we always have leftovers. I'll cook a full pound at once. And then we have leftovers. So my husband can use them in his lunches or, you know, whatever any of us can, but it's mostly, mostly him. Um, and it's been really good. So last night or the two weeks ago, last week, last week, I don't know. Time has no meaning anymore. You all know that I did white beans, I think they were cassoulet beans. Our grocery store has some organic heirloom beans from Idaho, I think. So I use those. I think they were cassoulet. So little white beans. And I cooked those on the stove again in my my new traditional method <laughs> that I learned from Rancho Gordo. Uh, and it works quite well. So I start soaking them in the morning when I get up. And then I can start cooking around three. And that seems to be plenty of time. You just maybe have to cook them a little longer than you would otherwise. But these only took, I think, maybe 40 minutes. So that wasn't bad. I'm home anyway, not doing anything. So that was good. And I use those in a tomato, wild rice, and white bean salad, which is a Rancho Gordo recipe and was lovely. We had great tomatoes from our produce box. So that was perfect. You're almost making a um, tomato dressing. They're still pretty chunky. I guess it's sort of more like a salsa, but without the, the peppers and whatnot. Oh, and that was another class that I listened to or a lecture from Rancho Gordo. I had done a vegetarian one a few weeks ago, and this was a salad-based one with a woman who specializes in French cooking mostly. But so salad, mixing all kinds of things. So, you know, like a beet salad or a bean and tomato and wild rice salad. That was really interesting. And again, you got five little recipe cookbook although a lot of them seem to be on their website as well. So that was, that was handy. Yeah. So then a few nights later, we had shrimp tacos. So I used white beans from those same white beans for my husband and I threw them in a pan and added various taco kind of spices. So I think that that worked out quite well. And then we still had a few left and he would throw them in salads and whatnot all during the week. So that was good. Last night I made garbanzo beans in the instant pot to see how that would work. And the reason I was a little hesitant to do it is that what I had, or at least my Rancho Gordo bean book said that the Instant Pot, they don't get as much flavor. And I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's just because they're not simmering. They're kind of whatever pressure cooking. 
I don't know why that would be different, but apparently it is. So I went with the garbanzo beans just because I feel like I add so much other flavor to whatever dish I'm putting them in anyway, that it wouldn't matter as much, but they were delicious. And I forgot <laughs> I had put them in there. So they sat in there for almost an hour after I had finished cooking them, but they were still had a good texture. They weren't totally mushy. So that was a win. And I served those in a broccoli, chickpea, and avocado salad. It was a recipe from Cookie and Kate. They were supposed to be in pita sandwiches, but that was too complicated. <laughs> I had the pitas. Only two of us were going to be able to eat them anyway. The one son that can eat them, I gave it to him. I was like, you can make it a sandwich. You can eat it however you want. The rest of us just ate it as a salad. And the boys and I had some leftover chicken with that. And that was really good. The recipe said serving the broccoli raw. I blanched it a little bit. And then we had the chickpeas, which were fabulous. Those were Rancho Gordo garbanzos that you sort of drew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the sliced avocados. It's got some dried tomatoes and feta and olives and a, a really bright lemon dressing. So that was, that was pretty delicious. I think we have some leftovers too. I might have to go check that out when we're done recording. Unless my husband's gotten to it for his lunch. So it's been good. And then I, I placed another ordo, order, <laughs> order, order with Rancho Gordo to get some more beans. So we'll continue the bean adventures and, and see how that goes. It's been fun. And then I ordered their vegetarian cookbook. So there was some, some good sounding things in there as well. I feel like a lot of times the recipes lean towards, they feel more lunchy to me, not as substantial. Mm -hmm. So that is something I will have to work on. It's like either soup or salad. To me, as an entree, those are lunch things. But that's just me. So I will continue to report back from Beanland. And then I went on a dessert-making binge. I'm not sure what happened. I made the strawberry summer cake from Smitten Kitchen again. Although this time I did not do half almond flour, which totally changed the cake part of it. It was so much more... I don't even know what it was. Fluffy? Yeah, and just one note, really. Oh. Because it, I don't know, it didn't have that combo of flowers, and it was just gluten-free flour. Yeah, I definitely yeah. like it with almond flour. So mm. that was good to know. I mean, it, it disappeared very quickly. It wasn't like anybody was complaining, but I personally, in the future, will try and remember to throw the almond flour in there. And it came out, I was like, why does it look like this? Because <laughs> it just looked different, totally different texture. It was really interesting. I made a Mississippi mud pie, which is a recipe from our friend Anne-Marie, which I don't know, she used to make that for preschool potlucks. And then I had not made it in years and I don't know why I thought of it. And it's this chocolate dense deliciousness that my family adored. And my husband was thinking, I don't know, his birthday is next week. He said he was thinking about changing his birthday dessert from the Boston cream pie to this one. So that is high praise because wow. I've been the Boston cream pie for the many, many years that we have been together. So I feel like he's not actually going to switch, but he was thinking about it. So that was interesting. I made, this one goes by many names. I'm going to go with toffee poke cake. It's a chocolate cake, poke holes, pour caramel sauce all over it, top it with Cool Whip. And I feel like it really does need to be Cool Whip. I mean, you could make the whole thing fancy, but that's not the point of this. 
And then you sprinkle Heath bars all over the top and it's, it's delicious. It really is really fabulous. But if you search toffee poke cake, I imagine all the other names will come up and some of them are probably not appropriate for this podcast. And then finally my macaron, which, ah, disappointing. Why? They look so good. They, well, I picked out the best ones for the photo, first of all. (laughs) Magic of social Food styling 101. (laughs) Yes. That was even before I did that. It was so weird though. I, the batter, I, I felt like the batter looked good. I used a recipe from Tasty. I looked at a whole bunch of ones. I looked at the recipe that you use that you, we, that we posted in those show notes. I looked at the one, um, there's like four recipes in my macaron cookbook that I have. And those all called for the egg, the dried egg whites, powdered egg whites, whatever it is, just a little bit for stabilizer. And I didn't have that. And I really had it in my head that I wanted to make them that day. So I went with the recipe that I found seemed the most simple. And the batter seemed a good consistency. I felt like it was appropriate, but it was weird. And, and I don't know if it came across in the pictures, but one, the first pan that I squeezed out were fine. They looked like a good size and good consistency. The second pan, by the time I got to that one, they were just spreading like crazy. As soon as I put them out and they blended together, it was kind of a disaster. I don't know what happened there. And then, but I did let them rest for about an hour. So I think that part was okay. One I had on a silicone mat, one was on parchment. I probably should have rotated them in the oven. I did not do that. that, that's on me. The foot did not develop super well. And one of the pans, I don't think was cooked enough because they were, they were sticking. That was the picture, like I lost the whole bottom of it. You could see all the inside was very airy, but I'd lost the bottom. So it was weird. And then I used jam for half of them and Nutella for the other half because I just did not feel like making a filling. And I, but I figured you use lemon curd in them. So like why would jam or Nutella not work? But this totally soaked through Oh, all of them. But a lot of them got totally soaked through um, with the filling and completely fell apart. I mean, so they tasted fine. Yeah. And they were just vanilla. And the secret about macarons is it's really all about the filling because the macarons themselves don't really have a ton of flavor from what no, I've it's, had. You put a lot of flavor in Yeah. So it's so much about the texture. Yeah. So they definitely need more work. We'll have I have never <laughs> put more than one tray in the oven at a time. Oh, okay. Like I will just leave it on the counter and let it dry while the other one's baking. Yeah. Um, so that might be something, but it sounds like your egg whites were way too wet and maybe a little egg stabilizer would have yeah. helped that, which could, you didn't have. So that seemed to be recommended by yeah. several, but again, I was like, whatever. <laughs> I know you, <laughs> Very sometimes you just need to dive in and make the macarons. Yeah. I do feel it. Yeah. But it's good to know for future reference. I think they are, you do have to be sciencey about this one. I think, I think there's a lot of, yeah. Cause a lot of everyone's like baking so scientific and you know, you have to be super precise. If that was true, there wouldn't be 50,000 chocolate chip cookie recipes, right? Like you can (laughs) around with stuff. I feel though that the macarons, you do need to be a little bit more sciencey. So, but you know, I believe in science. Me too. Revisit that recipe that you use, the Oreo one, that site. Oh my gosh. 
they had some, they had a chocolate and peanut butter macaron. They had this robin's egg one that just looked gorgeous. So inspired. And then they had all these other recipes that I did not even get into. Brahma Bakery. Brahma Bakery. B-R-O-M-A Bakery. Yeah. So again, the link will be in the show notes. That one is is a, a website to browse through. Cool. I think that is it for me. Have you had a chance to cook anything? Yeah, a little bit. Being in Connecticut, one of the great benefits is my sister's abundant vegetable garden. Oh. My sister, she is so, I mean, definitely devoted to her garden, but she's kind of like casual about it. You know, she only plants what she likes and she plants a lot of it. So right now she is harvesting tomatoes and red bell pepper and her beautiful eggplant are almost ready. We had gorgeous yellow beans that were so flavorful. And then of course, zucchini and yellow squash to beat the band. She also grows sunflowers, which are more for the birds and they are just so cheerful. So lots of just sauteing or steaming things from the garden to go with grilled chicken. She has a a bigger household than I do, um, including my dad and her husband, and they have four kids between them. And so lots of teenagers, lots of coming and going. Talk about production mode. She can really cook for an army you know, I'll be grabbing something from the fridge and next thing I know she's pulling out, you know, dinner for 10. So that was kind of crazy. And I helped where I could. I really had that bee in my bonnet to make apple fritters because she has a deep fryer. And so I took it outside and plugged it in. We cleaned out the oil and I made apple fritters, which is kind of a New England thing. Anyway, I mean, if you're apple picking, a lot of times you can find them at an apple orchard, you know, with fresh pressed apple cider, and it just seemed appropriate. So I made a recipe from iambaker.net. I probably had too many apples in the first batch, so then I made another batch of dough and just added it to the apples, and it still seemed like so dense. The kids absolutely loved and devoured the apple fritters. I think I would love to find a way to lighten up the dough and have it be way more apple studded than they were. They were more, they felt like a dumpling with apples in it, like a fried dumpling. The kids also adored the glaze that you put on top and they were, they were so hot that I would kind of like turn them and the glaze would just run right off. So I think I needed to let them cool a little bit more. It was also a science experiment to figure out, like, is this done? You'd have to pierce every single one. I couldn't get them, you know, when you go to the store and you see an apple fritter and they're kind of like maybe an inch tall and hockey puckish, you know, spread out. I kept getting, no matter how I tried to manipulate it in the fryer, I kept getting like really tall, you know, like a biscuit or a scone. So I had some challenges with the apple fritters. And once I had made, oh, I don't know, 5,000 of them, I was done of it. I probably made 
two dozen. Oh my gosh. It's a lot of work, deep frying things. It was a good project and I'm glad I did it outside, but my hair smelled gross and (laughs) (laughs) I feel strongly that I do not need a deep fryer in my kitchen arsenal. It's just not something, even though I would love to do, maybe when I go back to Connecticut, I'll try tempura when I'm there because that would be, that's the only other thing that I'm kind of curious about. And I'll just do vegetables. You can leave the oil in the fryer. And since it was new oil and I didn't do any meat, she left it in there. And then she fried some frozen French fries for the kids one night. And they kind of had like a little bit of apple fritter flavor and they were super good. (laughs) So adventures in deep frying. Um, And then the only other real recipe that I have is my sister, you know, lots of people are coming to see my dad and they want to say hi to him and hold his hand and, you know, share a memory or whatever. And that's, really good and hard and but it also feels like you you need to be offering something to eat or nibble on or you know something to drink and so my sister one night had thrown together in her fashion some stuffed mushroom caps and this is something i never ever make although i love mushrooms and she did bulk sausage with cheddar and fresh parsley from her garden a little bit of garlic powder and a little bit of onion powder. And she just pressed it into the mushroom caps and baked it off. They were so delicious. And I know it has sausage in it, but is there like a sausage substitute for vegans? Because this would be such a great, well, you got to get rid of the cheddar too. (laughs) I'm looking at the recipe. Uh, We're just vegetarian in our house, so we could do it with the, like the Beyond Meat sausages. Well, this was really satisfying. Like I could have eaten them for dinner. It was so good. They were just really flavorful. And it's something that I want to incorporate into, not that we're entertaining at all here, but eventually, but they were really just fun little mouthfuls. You could pass around. And so that was really a fun find in her kitchen. And I imagine you could make them a little bit ahead anyway, and then just bake them off as needed. So that's super handy. Yeah, I think think you could make them ahead, freeze them, and then just reheat them, I bet. I don't know. I don't know how mushrooms do in that capacity. Yeah, you have to. Uh, I, I mean, you can you, buy them frozen, like at Trader Joe's and stuff, can't you? I think so. You're the so. you're the Trader Joe expert on this channel. I haven't been in forever. I can't. I, I know the, I, the line there is always so crazy that I just haven't haven't been going. So. Yeah. Otherwise, it's been pretty quiet on the food front. I am glad to be back in my kitchen and eating. You know, we, we've done Japanese rice bowls twice already this week. And my father-in-law comes back to us tonight. So I'm going to make, maybe tomorrow night, we're going to do that. Remember the Queen of Monrovia hamburger that he insisted oh, yes. was like a, the cheese stuffed hamburger? Oh, you never got around to that. I, I didn't. I think I'm going to make those at some point this weekend for him for fun. And <laughs> it just That's makes me laugh that he, that 
I don't know what he's thinking they really were or what they, <laughs> but anyway, I'm looking for joy wherever I can find it. And if my father-in-law's confusion about a stuffed cheddar hamburger fulfills yep. that, I'm taking it. Yeah. So that, that is, I, I want to know what, what he's, what, where that name came from. Well, so I do too, but you know, he's, a, um, he's early onset dementia. So I think that if we get a Sometimes moment of clarity, mystery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. mystery is okay. Yeah, that's right. Joyful mystery. Yep. Oh, we, we did yep. get several zucchini breads, like people, you know, when, somebody is sick, people bring lots of food over. Some of the zucchini breads, I had forgotten how delicious zucchini bread is. And I particularly loved my sister-in-law, my brother's wife made one from walnuts that I might try to get that recipe from her to put in the podcast because it was really satisfying. And I ate it for breakfast two days in a row. So wow. I will make a note to ask Clarissa for that, for that recipe. Okay, so on the nightstand, I, yeah, I have a bunch of books. Because I've been back to my audio books, so that really helps you get through some, some literature. So let's start with The Dutch House, because I mentioned that, because Kelly and I were both reading, or listening to it, which <laughs> was kind of hilarious, I thought, by Ann Patchett, and you had talked about that one, and that is the story of a family that buys this gorgeous house outside of Philadelphia in the late 40s and kind of goes through the, the family history and the ups and downs. Audiobook is narrated by Tom Hanks, which is part of the reason why I was like, oh, I'll get it. I need something to listen to. It's Tom Hanks. I'll listen to him for 12 hours or however long the book was. I don't remember. And that part was great. I thought it would be a little distracting. And every once in a while, you're like, oh, yeah, this is Tom Hanks. <laughs> but mostly he did a really, really good job. So that was good. I gotta say, I did not love the story. And I think it was because the narrator, like the women in his life were so much more interesting sounding. I didn't care about him. I wanted to know about his sister and his stepmom and his mom. And you don't get their full stories or what they're really thinking. And I found that super disappointing. But it was beautifully written. It was super interesting. I wanna know all about that house. Like, is it based on a real house? Cause it sounds incredible. It focused on the wrong characters. So that was my, that was my opinion. But that's a really interesting critique of it. I, I appreciate that. I really appreciate yeah. that. I mean, I definitely, I can't remember what I said when we were recording it. I know that I liked the book, but I definitely had major problems with the mother character and the character I most wanted to spend time with was his sister. Yeah, I, I think it is such an interesting book and that house as a character in it too. And then the stepmother, that was, just, it's a, it's kind of a romp, that book. It's so funny that you both were reading it at the same time. That's great coincidence. That was fun. Yeah. I've chatted with her a little bit more about it, but she hadn't finished it yet. Sorry, my dog has joined us and he's rearranging the beanbag for his criticisms aside I do think it's a worthwhile read it's just there's so much going on in it and he is a flawed narrator and flawed character yeah for sure and it's a hard book there's a lot of hard things that happen in that yeah um, so that was part of it I mean and especially at the beginning with the stepmom I was 
I, I was almost at the point where I did not want to continue. I was like, I don't <laughs> like, I yeah. hope this is going to get better, but I don't know that it is. And I don't know that I'm in a place where I can read this right now. And, and it wasn't even anything, you know, that I had experienced or that was resonating with me. It was just hard stuff. But there was a lot of good. And even his wife, he makes he makes this kind of offhand comment or somebody, I think it must have been him because he's the narrator, you know, that she really should have been a doctor. But because of when she was born, her goal was to marry a doctor. And so you really don't get much information about her, her hopes, her dreams, what she's going through. There were all these people that I really wanted to know about. And it was not not who I was finding out about. So we, we need more information. But yeah, but again, beautifully written and yeah, and I think worth checking out. And I and Tom Hanks is delightful to listen to. So <laughs> did a good job. I also read Tall History of Sugar by Cradella Forbes. This one actually I think would be interesting to listen to. It is by a Jamaican American author, and a lot of the dialogue is in Jamaican, I guess. I don't know if we're considering it a separate language, but um, it's hard to read. And I would have to slow down and read it kind of aloud inside my head. And then it made sense. But reading it was really tough. So I've, I'm wondering if maybe as an audiobook it would go more smoothly. But mm. the story was really interesting. It's these two friends, Moish and Arian, and they are born uh, about four years before Jamaican independence. So it's actually kind of the same timeline as the Dutch house, the right after World War II. He is found abandoned in a basket on the edge of the water by a childless couple. And he has some strange skin. They don't know if it's a disease. He looks kind of like he's beyond albino pale. And his hair, the front half is like blonde, kind of Scandinavian looking. And the back is very African looking. So people are like, what is this? Who is it? Very strange. Um, he ends up becoming friends with Ariane, who's a little girl. They become friends at school. They grow up. They have kind of this psychic connection. So the whole thing is about their relationship. Um, it also looks into Jamaican independence. Motions at being an artist. So it looks at that. It's all about their journey. It's There's not a lot of plot. There's a little bit of plot. But it's all character-based, slightly dreamlike quality. It's it's hard to describe and makes that interesting, but it was it was a really fascinating book. Yeah, and the, the Jamaican uh, independence and colonialism and all those factors go into the the story building. Moshe's search for his parents, for his uh, birth parents, lots of stuff going on in there. So that was, I really enjoyed that. That was not an easy read. I definitely had to pay attention to what was going on, especially with the language issues, but definitely worth it. And that was A Tall History of Sugar by Cordella Forbes. And then I had to take a little break. So I did Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dave. And that's her second book, I think. The first one was Pride, Prejudice, and Other Recipes. So we have Jane Austen retellings plus food in both of them. So that was excellent. This one is the story of Ashna, who is a chef. And she is trying to save her father's restaurant. Her friend who is a, like a food TV producer asks her to be on a reality cooking show. just like dancing, for, dancing with the stars, but with cooking. And she is very shy, doesn't like 
watching on TV, but if you win, you get money. It'll help save the restaurant. So she agrees to do it. She is paired with Rico Silva, who is a Brazilian football star, soccer, been playing in the Premier League, big international star, but he's blown out his knee and he's going to be retiring. And the secret that nobody knows is that they went to high school together and had a horrible breakup. They haven't spoken. Is trying. He doesn't want to necessarily get back together, but he wants some closure. So he, because he's a big star, he says, yes, I want to do this and I want to be with her. Shenanigans ensue. So there's a lot of, again, this one was a little bit harder, had more profound, deep topics than I was expecting. It was not a super light and fluffy romance. So there was a lot of family history for Ashna that they go into, but it all worked out. They were a really cute couple. Because if you think about it, Persuasion is not is one of the less happy of the Jane Austen books in terms of the trauma in the background. But yeah, overall it's good. Lots of good food writing. So that's always fun. Um, that's Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dave. Then If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. Um, this takes place in Seoul, Korea now. Um, there's four young women that live in an apartment building. There's actually five that are kind of the main characters, but four of them rotate the narration. And it's just kind of being young and trying to make it in Korea with all the the pressures and the expense. And this one was another one. It started off really hard and I was like, I don't know if I can get through this. It wasn't that anything super awful was happening. It was just kind of and I imagine it's like this for a lot of young people in big cities everywhere in the world. It's really hard to be in an expensive place and to make, make your way. One of them is a hairdresser and the other one is uh, an art school student, other things going on. And just the societal pressures, the misogyny in the workplace, all of these things going on for them was really hard. And then I got a part way, I got maybe two thirds of the way through and all of a sudden I realized their friendship is really amazing because the narration is rotating. You get four different first person viewpoints. You're hearing what they're thinking about each other and it's all super supportive. So that part was really beautiful and and kind of made it worth it and interesting and, and made me want to keep going with the story. And again, there's not a ton of plot. You go back in their history and find out how they got to where they are and, you know, the story keeps moving along. But it's kind of like daily life. There's not a whole lot really going on. But seeing their friendship develop and how they're supporting each other, that was really kind of beautiful. And a lot of um, the Korean culture that I don't know. So reading about that was interesting as well. And that's If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. And then The Year of the Witching by Alexis Henderson. Kind of disappointing. The reviews I read were, it's a feminist fantasy debut, amazing novel. Definitely feminist, definitely a debut. Emmanuel lives in a little village, kind of pre-industrial, on the edge of a dark forest. So it's kind of got that fairy tale thing. Very religious society, men are in charge, women original sin, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there's, there's witches in the forest. I, I appreciate that eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> there's witches in the forest. There's a curse unleashed upon her village. She has to fight it. So it sounded really, it sounded interesting, kind of up my alley. It felt to me like it didn't go far enough. It was like, okay, yeah, I know it's going to happen. And then it all happened. She hadn't put enough of herself, the author, into it. It felt 
like, yep, we've, I've seen this before. No surprises. Yeah. And then the thing with the witches was confusing. Like you're trying to be feminist, but the witches are evil. That part she tried to make different and it, it just confused me. So I don't know, but it has a ton of fabulous reviews on Goodreads. So your mileage may vary. One that I did like was Turning Darkness into Light by Marie Brennan. And this is the sequel to a series that she wrote. So this one is the granddaughter of the heroine of the five book series that she wrote before. And this is kind of a Victorian world, but with dragons. So that's always fun. And feminine heroines. And this one is, they found a tab- series of tablets that might be kind of an origin story for this race of dragon people that they have recently realized are still in existence. Our heroine is trying to translate them, but there's all these shenanigans going on and mystery and there are people that are against the dragon people and there's a big conference and so there's all sorts of things happening. So I, I really liked it. I think there's plenty of originality in this one. A little bit goes into a Lord of the Rings kind of five different endings and I feel like it could have been squished together a little bit more. But other than that, really good. And her first series I enjoyed a lot as well. Um, and then I listened to Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel for my book club and it's still fabulous and I love it. And that's the first of her Thomas Cromwell series. And she did not get nominated for the Booker Prize for book three. So, oh, well. Oh, no. Because the other two won and they just um, did the short list, I think. And she did. I'll have to look at that. I always like the Booker Prizes. So, yeah. And this one I listened to because I realized I was not going to have time to read it. And Simon something is the reader and a, he does a really good job. All right, that's it for me. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that you're picking up all of my reading slack because it's um, to be going through a life thing like this makes my concentration isn't great. And like the, I'll be reading something and it will set me off and I'll have to put the book down. So I've struggled a little bit with finding the right book for right now. When I left, I had just closed the last page of Life of Pi, oh. which, you know, will be one of the squares for next year's bingo is read a book that everyone else has read that you have not. And I honestly don't know why we've had the book in my house for 10 years, maybe more. And I never picked it up. And I think I had started the first few pages once or twice, but it just never called to me. And for whatever reason, dove into it. It's been about four weeks now, I think. Dove into it and was just flying along and really loving the book. And then it ends. And I am still blown away by this Uh book. Like what a a triumph of imagination and heartbreaking and beautiful and just extraordinary. So I might be very, very late to the life of pie party, but I'm really glad that I came. I don't even want to tell people about it, except that it is a journey of a book and it requires a bit of faith in the author to just let you be guided along and it's like terrifying and wonderful all in one. I can't even, I don't even want to describe it because now I understand maybe the other people's descriptions were trying to 
protect me from, or not protect, but to like, let me experience it. And now I'm really grateful that I've had that full experience. So exceptional. And then I picked up this book called Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. And it, I grabbed it because I thought it took place in Greenland, which is one of the places that's on my list for lemon latitude. And I thought, well, I'll have it for when I make my way to yet another island country that I want to explore. <laughs> and so I picked it up and I'm three quarters of the way through. So I think I'll save a final review for next time. But I think what's really striking is it's about, it's not quite post-apocalyptic, but it is definitely beyond the point of return in terms of climate change, Mm. which I was not expecting. Like all I saw was that it's about an ornithologist who's exploring climate change. But in the book, like most of the species in the ocean, most of the birds, most of the land animals have, um, have died off and how, and I've just gotten to the point where they've made all commercial fishing illegal because there's like no fish to fish anyhow. So it's so it's climate change level 10. Like we've done so much damage that we cannot repair it. And I think that that is a profound wake up call. And I wish more people would pay attention to that. The writing is really, really beautiful and spare. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing that tonight. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I think, I think you'll like it. It reminds me of that book that I read about the Farallons where the people go out Mm -hmm. to the Farallons and they're doing studies out there. It has that a similar tenor, like dangerous tenor. We came home from Connecticut and our main, our branch here in the city is still closed and I haven't figured that out yet. And my husband said, oh, I need a junkie book. And two books had come through my radar that were just things that I wanted to grab from the library. One is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance. And it's basically about just getting into the studio and doing the work. And then the other one was a memoir that was recommended to me. It's called Devotion by Danny Shapiro, who is actually from Litchfield County in Connecticut, which is where I'm from. And so... I had these two strange books on my list. I was thinking about ordering them. I was, you know, I just got home. So it wasn't like a fully fledged thought. And yesterday I went down to Pacifica to walk on the beach and kind of clear my head. I was talking to my, my spirit grandparents and doing some spiritual stuff as I sometimes do. As I was walking out of the beach, there was a little free library on the path. And I opened up the little free library. And inside was a copy of the Danny Shapiro book that what? had come across my radar. It's a, it's a lot about the death of her father. And then there was this junkie book by like Brad Metzer or something that 
I grabbed for my husband. I contribute all the time to the little free libraries and I almost never take anything out. So I was like super excited to find these two books. And so I go back to my car and I get in my car, I drive north to the city and there's two more little free libraries in our neighborhood. And I thought, I'm just gonna see if I can find one more book for my husband who's just so he has some choices. And I went to the one by our old school and sure enough, there was a great, I forget the author, not, it's not Clive Cussler, but it's kind of like Clive Cussler, <laughs> you know, some, some kind of man book, CIA, espionage. Yep. I went to the other little free library around the corner and inside was the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. So, oh you know, my, God. my little spirit, guides are looking out for me in the book realm and so wow. now I have a a nice book stack that I had I have totally manifested this book stack and if that isn't new agey enough for you I don't know what is <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing oh my gosh I know I'm just gonna keep painting and keep reading and keep cooking and there are so many books coming out Goodreads sent out their fall, it wasn't even fall, it was like September or October list. And it was like, that one I need, that one I need, that one I need. I don't even know what's going to happen. You're going to be deluged with books. And that is not a bad thing. Well, it is. (laughs) I I do have to do other things like, you know, feed my children. And I mean, I guess guess they're old enough, they can fend for themselves, right? That's right. That's right. It's fall book season. (laughs) You're on your own. (laughs) Shall I give you my final bingo update? I want to hear your final bingo update. I did not get a blackout. Uh. And I, I know I was so close. And the silliest one held me back was the kitchen dance party. And honestly, I just wasn't in the mood to dance. And that's okay. That's fair. Um, but I did get those apple fritters in. And I did get some sketching in for? that middle bingo. It could have put anything in there. And so uh-huh. I claimed it for Labor Day weekend. But I'm happily making a box for our bingo winner and putting some really fun things in there for her. And I just want to thank everyone for joining us. And I know it's, I know it's rewarding in its own way to kind of work through these things and help it shape your summer and... I'm just, I know that not everybody submitted. There were a lot of people who just did a couple little things and people who started late and whatever. But I I do think that there's something, I don't know what it is. There's just something to giving your, your reading and your cooking a little bit of a challenge and a little bit of focus. So thanks everyone. Yeah. Thank you for playing and we'll, we'll see you next summer. And if you have ideas for squares, feel free to send them our way. Good stuff. All right. So that is definitely something that will stay on repeat. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. All right. I'll back up to the tacos. Yeah, those sound awesome. I really need to eat properly before the podcast because it always makes me hungry. <laughs>
show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.